But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And that shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Hey, um, did you guys hear there was an election this week? Some of us were jubilant at the results, others not so much. I'm quoting, people are frustrated, people are just really sad and shocked, said Trey Boynton, the director of multi-ethnic student affairs at the University of Michigan. There was a steady flow of students entering Boynton's office on Wednesday. What did they do? They spent the day sprawled around the center playing with Play-Doh, coloring in coloring books. These are college students as they sought comfort and distraction. Morgan Polikoff, a professor at the University of Southern Cal, Rozier School of Education, canceled his Wednesday class. He told the 11 students in his Ph.D. statistics course that uh, if the students didn't want to come, that that would be okay. And six of them took him up on it. It's just too tough to come to school the next day. Students at Cornell University gathered to hold a cry-in. Students could drink hot chocolate 
And then they used tissues that were handed out by the school staff. The University of Kansas announced that it would regularly bring in therapy dogs to campus. I'm not making this up. While Tufts University had arts and crafts on hand. I have to admit, my first thoughts when I heard these things were rather critical. Uh, The apparent inability to handle disappointment. It's easy to point the finger. But perhaps this reveals something about all of us. I mean, we all want hope, do we not? And we all are prone to put our aspirations in a human leader or political system, especially one that that resembles our values, and everyone thinks they have the right values, and everybody thinks they have the right opinion on these things. But when folks are on the losing end of something like an election, their hopes are dashed. And when hopes are not met, then what that means is confidence and certainty, well, it dissipates. It's in short supply. And perhaps the loss of hope is one reason that postmodern skepticism sets in. And then it condemns anyone who speaks with some kind of certainty. That's just arrogant, right? Um, People yearn for a a certain type of political leader. Uh, People will cast their vote. They don't get what they expect, and, and some will, in fact, turn violent. And now, faced with these dashed hopes and They struggle on how they're going to face a world that is is not what they had envisioned, not what they wanted. I've just described for you the events of a beleaguered people called the Jews in first century Israel. They were occupied by Roman rule. I mean, the Jews pictured a, a promised land where they could rule themselves But the reality is they were under Roman domination. Now, they weren't dealing with the disappointment of an election cycle. Rather, they had to face centuries of occupation of foreign governments. And they held out hope that someday God would make good on his promise to make them a sovereign nation, to bless them, to have them experience a land flowing with milk and honey. In fact, they were so hungry for somebody, some leader, to deliver this for them that they prayed for and sought any leader who was willing. And as a form of judgment, you know what God does? He answers their prayers. He gives them what they ask for, any kind of leader they want. Enter Saul. Enter a whole host of kings that were evil or foolish. A litany of leaders who had failed them. And with that as a history, how then could Israel, how could the Jews look forward with any certainty of a true leader? 
And dare they even hope for a true Messiah? Peter answers that question on this day in Acts 2 as he continues his sermon to this Jewish crowd who just witnessed Pentecost. And he takes Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, written by David and uses it to make a beeline for Christ. Starting with verse 25, for David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now for David, certainly the immediate meaning of these verses were that God would would save him from death, that God would, would not let him rot in Hades. And Hades simply was kind of a, a, a holding space where the dead would go until judgment. Now, the Old Testament listener would understand David to simply mean that, that God would not abandon him in death. And God gave David understanding a path to follow while he was alive. But God wasn't just with him in life, but here he's saying that God is also with me in death. And then Peter, a thousand years later, takes this psalm and interprets it through a messianic lens. And in doing so, he makes the point that David was actually writing with a prophetic voice. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he should set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. I want you to notice something that, that Peter says, I'm telling you this with confidence with confidence, with, with conviction. I'm, I'm convinced that this is true. And what he's about to do is draw a line from the Old Testament to Christ. Drawing a line from Psalm 16 to Christ. Drawing a line from David to Christ. Christ is the unifying link between the Old and the New Testaments. And in doing so, he is wanting his listeners, those who looked for a, a military liberator and not a suffering savior, he tells them that their Old Testament points to Jesus as the Messiah. It had to have blown their minds because they were the very ones that earlier yelled for Jesus to be crucified. And he does this by explaining the meaning of Psalm 16. David, he says, was still dead, but Christ rose from the dead. Now, he's not using Psalm 16 as a proof of the resurrection. I mean, he already had eyewitnesses for that. He himself witnessed that. The apostles witnessed that. The followers of Christ, they didn't need proof of the resurrection. Jesus was walking around and seen by hundreds of people after he was in the grave for three days. 
Psalm 16 shows this Jewish audience that because of the resurrection, Jesus was in fact the Messiah, the one promised to them throughout the Old Testament. And Peter's saying, you know that Jesus is the Messiah because he was not bound by death. It follows then that David was not ultimately the subject in Psalm 16. In fact, God made a promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13, that a descendant would take his throne and rule forever. It says this, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So who's this descendant of David that has defeated death and will rule forever? I mean, who of his descendants fits that bill? There's only one. And that is Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God. I mean, David must have known of some type of of resurrection or something of the Messiah. And this links Jesus to David's prophecy. And that makes Jesus the Messiah. And I'm sure you could see the lights just come on with this audience that Peter was speaking to. This was an aha moment for them. Their their ears and eyes were being opened. There was such a rejection for God not too long ago. But God would use this very sermon to turn many of their hearts around. And I would say the same to you today. There may be some here who you have been against God. You say religion just stinks. Well, I'm not... I'm not talking to you about religion. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Forget Christianity. Forget the church. You know, all of these excuses that have been talked about, look at Jesus Christ. And if he is who he claims to be, and if he indeed is the Messiah, what are you going to do with that? You can't keep just rejecting that as if it doesn't matter because that puts your soul in peril. And and it limits your life now. You have no clue as to what you may be missing. Peter's point is that David's tomb was still filled. (laughs) But Christ rose from the dead. There's no evidence of David having left his tomb. In fact, there's an interesting piece of history concerning the site of David's tomb. Historians tell us that as Peter was giving this sermon that the tomb was probably on the south side of the southeast hill of Jerusalem near the Pool of Siloam. And Josephus said that that John Hyrcanus looted the tomb of 3,000 talents of silver during the siege of Jerusalem in 135 B.C. But then Josephus talks about something else in his volume, The Antiquities of the Jews. He said that Herod attempted to raid the tomb as well, probably to wreak havoc upon the body of David. But you know what happened? And I'm just telling you what Josephus, the historian, says. The two men went to go raid the tomb, and fire engulfed them and killed them. 
Herod abandoned that project. <laughs> and then he built a white marble portico over the tomb. Could it be that God preserved the tomb for such a time as this in Acts 2? Only through resurrection from the dead could a son of David rule forever over God's people. Peter made this connection and could speak with great confidence that Jesus was the leader that they were looking for. Jesus Christ was worthy of their hope. He doesn't stop there. He says in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Now, Peter's confidence was based upon Old Testament prophecy, the testimony of the Old Testament, on eyewitness testimony. Okay? This is not some fairy tale. This is not some made-up story. We've not had time for myth to take place. All people had to do is to go to the tomb of David, body there, go to the tomb of Jesus, body gone, walked around, hundreds of people saw him, and he's, he's verifying this. We can all testify that he rose from the dead. David didn't do that. He's indeed the Messiah. David did not ascend to heaven and sit at God's right hand. Only the Son of God, the Messiah, can do that. David did not dispense the Holy Spirit on this day of Pentecost. Only God, the Messiah, can do that. He's saying you all have witnessed a miracle here today. You've seen a rushing wind. You've seen tongues of fire to descend on top of people. You've heard a message of God in your own tongue from people who previously did not know that language, but God had gifted them to speak in such a way. Only one exalted to God's right hand can dispense the spirit to do such things. In fact, we read in Joel's prophecy that was repeated in Acts 2.17, God said, I will pour out my spirit. But Peter proclaims here in verse 33 that Jesus poured out the spirit. What's the inference? Jesus is God, the dispenser of the spirit. So what the crowd at Pentecost experienced I mean, we think centrality is the Holy Spirit there coming down, and certainly that's true. But man, this was all about Jesus. This was all about the exaltation of Christ. He was exhibiting his absolute glory, his power, his authority in the universe. And as the dispenser of the Spirit, he was now acting with the Father, fully sharing in his heavenly rule. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Here David now is, or Peter is quoting David from Psalm 110. And he's making the point that the exalted Lord raised to the Father's right hand in heaven and from his position of authority 
This Jesus mediates the gift of the Spirit. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 16, that he will work in concert with the Father to provide the Holy Spirit. He said in John 14, 26, that the Spirit would come in his name and testify to all that Jesus said. And again in John 16, 7, he promises the disciples that he will send to them the Holy Spirit. So right before their eyes, this audience that is there at Pentecost is witnessing fulfilled prophecy. This is another confirmation that Jesus is in fact God and Messiah. Jesus had to ascend to heaven before pouring out the Spirit. It's obvious David could not do this. From being at God's right hand, Jesus has authority and power. And the Jews were looking through a a blurry kind of telescope, being hindered by their own aspirations of what they wanted in a militaristic Messiah. But now Peter is bringing into perfect focus with the help of Old Testament prophecy, eyewitness testimony, these miracles at Pentecost, perfect focus, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you killed him. And you rejected him. Now what are you going to do? He is deserving of your hope and trust. There is still time. It's amazing to me that he even preaches this message when he knows those that were guilty of his crucifixion. He's giving them hope. There's still a chance. There's still an opportunity. God's grace has not ended for you. Some of you may feel like, I don't have time. God has left me. I'm done. I've I've sinned too much. I don't know about you, but I think killing Jesus is about the worst that it gets. And he's still giving them an opportunity. That's amazing to me. God said to Jesus, or here it says, the Lord, to the Lord, that they would get a future kingdom. They would get a king who will rule. Their enemies would be made a footstool, just not yet. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And Peter's now kind of bringing it home. The one you rejected, the one you crucified, his name is Jesus Christ. He's not dead. He is risen. He's at God's right hand. He rules. He reigns. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He is the living Lord, Master, and Messiah. I mean, their hearts had to have been beating out of their chest as they heard this. And I would suggest to you that the truth of Acts 2 is just as pertinent and just as powerful 2,000 years later. And how are we to respond? Peter tells us how. As we read his message, verse 25 says, that I may not be shaken. There's a benefit. Verse 26 My heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Also, 
I dwell in hope. Verse 28, we can be full of gladness. Verse 29, we can have full confidence. I don't know everything. There are a lot of things I don't know in this Bible and I don't understand, but I know this, that Jesus is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and the real Messiah. And I'm gonna hang my hat on that. Everything else we may not agree with, but I know who is the King of Kings. And verse 36 says, we can know for certain. You don't have to have every jot and tittle down of theology. We don't have to agree on politics. We don't have to agree on our sports teams. A lot of things we don't agree on. God is not asking for us to get on the same page with any of this stuff. But Jesus Christ, that's what our fellowship is based on. That's what heaven is contingent on. That's what our very life is contingent on. We can agree on who is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And listen, as we consider the events of last week, and we consider our own trials and tribulations, we have to focus our attention on the one who has the world in his hands. Our trust is to be in Jesus Christ and him alone. My ultimate trust is not in a president. It's not in a political system. It's not in some economic policy. I have interest. I will vote. I may even try to improve things and make a change in those things. But you know what? If you don't agree with me, that's okay. It really is. May our trust not be ultimately in these things. My trust is even not in getting the right spouse or having so much money. That's not where my hope is. I've only found one thing that heals the wounds of the heart, who fulfills the heart. And and that one has a job description that only God can fill. And that's why Jesus is the Messiah. That's why he died on a cross. And that's what he can do for us. My dear friends, naysayers and philosophers are always going to say that we can know nothing for certain, right? They're going to say we're arrogant. And when we speak about these exclusive claims of Christ and the exclusive claims that the Bible makes. But listen, we are not to let the blindness and foolishness of others to cause us to lose our hope. That doesn't mean that we have the right to be jerks and certain of every little item. I'm not saying that. Or to wield about our politics or anything else in a way that is offensive. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Do not let your certainty of Christ be moved because others may make fun of you, persecute you, talk about you. I mean, let's face it. We've got, we've got people that can't stand to have a little disappointment. Why is that? Why is the human heart that way? And it's easy to point the finger at, you know, these little snowflakes who can't take, you know, not having the right president. And then I realize, am I so different? 
That's when Janet gives me the little doll and I get in my fetal position and she hugs me. I'm happy once again. She has a little puppet she talks to me with, Gavin. We cannot let the influence of others to move us off of our only hope in Jesus Christ. It's upon Jesus Christ that we can rejoice that we have life beyond the grave. It's in Christ that we have certainty that he is the truth. It's in Christ that we, we know that our eternity is in his hands and he's the way. It's in Christ that we can acknowledge him as Lord in all areas of our, of our life. Why? Because he is the life. Abundant life isn't, or eternal life is not something for the future. It's to be enjoyed now in Christ. So let's not waste another day trying to, you know, farm out our little plot, our our piece of pie in a world that is transient and putting all our attention there. Let's put our aspirations in an eternal kingdom. Let's give him our relationships and let Christ be our security. Let's give him all of our money and be intent on being good stewards, knowing that there are eternal treasures to be had. Let's give him our obedience even when it's hard, our endurance in Christ, knowing that he will reward us beyond our wildest dreams. Let's give him our time knowing that in him there is purpose. Let us allow the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords to lead us. Let's pray.